Hey Blenders, on this week's episode, new Hunger Games movie in theaters, so we have your review, and Eli Roth is going to join us to discuss Thanksgiving and his filmmaking journey. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 287 of Real Blend, a podcast that's coming to you live from Paris, France. Bonjour, bonsoir, and uh, what, what else is another one? What's a good one? Kev, help me out. With bon appétit. Bon appétit. I like it. On this week's show. Oh, very appropriate, Kevin. Eli Roth's Thanksgiving is coming to theaters, <laughs> and the filmmakers are going to join us to discuss, and in addition... The new Hunger Games movie is here, and we're going to have a review from the boys who have had a chance to go see it. Let me introduce the Parisian version of Jake Hamilton, Fox 32 in Chicago. He looks très magnifique. Is it Jacques? Do we call him Jacques? Jacques. Jacques. Jacques Hamilton. <laughs> this is unusual because we're all in the same hotel, but we have to record in different rooms because of uh, audio needs. Kevin wants to leave his room and come to my room because we're on the same floor. Uh, you're on the I same honestly... floor? We're on five, yeah. I've, I've, deba- I, I've debated this. Like I was debating whether or not I should get up from my chair and go knock on your door while you're speaking. Yeah, but you would see me leave, so it wouldn't work. <laughs> can we, really can we show something for uh, our YouTube uh, watchers? I would like to just show off what the keys to our room look like. Oh, they're massive. It's, yeah. it's the most dramatic thing. Oh, my gosh. It is an old school, for those of you who are just listening, it is an old school silver key, but yeah, it is yeah. attached to about an eight-pound dumbbell with little frilly lace. Yeah, off. you're not stealing that thing. No. To the, you to have, the you have to turn it in when you leave the hotel. You have to give it to them, yeah. and then they give you back. They give it back when you come in. <laughs> they give it back to you. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to carry this when you leave. You like literally hand it. Unless you're Sean O'Connell, then you just carry it in your pocket. Put it in my pocket. Or, or you're me, and you forget it all together and have to have someone let you in the room <laughs> later. That is uh, Kev McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. He is also in Paris. Hi, Kev. How are you doing? He's in Paris, uh, Texas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm in Paris, Texas. Yeah, are you guys? No, good to see you guys. And uh, yeah, we just had a lovely dinner, and we'll talk more about that on the other side of the, our introductions. Yes, we will. Gabriel, we're really sorry you can't be here with us. You are missed, my friend. You're here in spirit. Well, you know, St. Louis is a French t- city, so yeah, they, technically they, they call that the there. Paris of the Midwest. Yeah, Saint Louis, Saint Louis. Yeah, we're French territory at one point. All right, if you're watching us on YouTube and you got a chance to look at our uh, fancy keys, thank you very much for joining us. Go down, hit subscribe, turn on your notifications. I keep saying this too: share the show with friends. That's a great way to grow out the Roblox podcast. If people love movies as much as you guys do and want to hear a couple of nerds sitting around talking about film. 
uh, Roblend is the way to go. Um, at youtube.com backslash Roblend podcast. Of course, if you just want to listen on the audio version and not stare at our faces, that is also an option anywhere you get your podcast needs met. And we have a Roblend premium subscription that you can get a newsletter from me every other week. There's one dialed up and ready to go for this week. And in addition, it gives you an ad-free version of the show, which is all the cool incentives for signing up for Real Blend Premium. All right, as mentioned, we are in Paris. Uh, Jakey, why don't you tell the people why we are here? We are in Paris because uh, the the members of Real Blend were among a very small, tight, elite group of elite. people who were uh, invited <laughs> out here to... Um, uh, to interview uh, some pretty cool names surrounding the upcoming film Napoleon. Now, question, names Jake. That, or shock. Uh, Excuse yes. me, shock. Yes. Before you get there, what's our what's our superstition? Hashtag if it happens. They haven't happened Exactly, yet. which is why I have not said what the names yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. We True. have names on a list. Do we, do we want to say? Getting Napo- we're getting Napoleon. <laughs> He's going to be <laughs> coming Napoleon's out of retirement. Uh yeah yeah I wanted to take a a, a quick poll do, do we want to say is that too is that tempting fate I think I know where Kevin falls uh, okay because there's okay so there's two possible big names that were that we're supposed to get right um, there can only be so many names I mean returning, yeah, guests. returning guests also well uh, there generally go. we have we didn't have to say it and we've said it we have some returning <laughs> guests for this movie Napoleon you might two have returning guests two of them but I do want to very much say. If it happens, even though we're here, <laughs> yeah. anything could happen. You guys of know course. how this works. If it, if it doesn't happen, uh, jokes on us. What I wanted to do was if if we Joker's did say it, sons. I wanted to mention that if it didn't happen, I would just add a comedic cut where it just abruptly stops wherever someone's <laughs> about to say it. But yeah, so I, I'll, I would say next uh, it's next week. Yeah, next week. Be on the lookout for I had tweeted out because we didn't do a show last week. And I said, there's some really exciting stuff happening and there's going to be a lot of bonus stuff. There's a bonus episode this week, which Sean is going to plug in a second that just came out. But next week we'll have um, two episodes for these these two guests. They are separate interviews. I, I will give some some background information. So as we've said on the show before, we always anytime we book a big interview for our show, we we get together for a geek out dinner. Um, yeah. We are right now it's we're recording. It's 11 p.m. Um, in Paris, our time, and um, we were very Gabe, tired. Gabe is uh, uh, in the U.S., so he's hours hours behind us. But um, we did just get out of the movie. We just saw Napoleon, and we went to dinner together, all three of us, after the movie, and we wrote our questions for these two interviews. Um, and it was very typical geek out dinner. We've done them uh, before, uh, but in this particular case, we were working on. I don't have we ever done two podcast interviews at a junket before no because when we did joker we were supposed to get todd phillips but then we didn't like they backed out and then we ended up getting todd phillips like on the day which because uh, joaquin phoenix so we, so we didn't do like the full prep yeah i think we just prepped right, for, right, right. for yeah. phoenix and then we just jumped right into it because yeah, for people who we getting phillips don't know that story we were, we were we got joaquin phoenix for 30 minutes for the first joker and from what we understand the interview went well enough that he walked out this is what we were told and told Todd Phillips about our show. And then like 10 minutes later, Todd Phillips ended up doing our show um, off uh, on the fly randomly hey. because I get, yeah. BT dubs, uh, by the way, which is what the kids are saying. Um, yeah. Well, are the those, kids kids saying grow- that? those kids have grown yeah. up and they're those now kids are adults <laughs> now. I heard from a lot of people when we didn't have an episode last week, there were people who were checking in on us to make sure we were okay. 
Um, <laughs> one or two people checked in to make sure that the show was still a show. I like to think oh that we gosh. could take a week off. <laughs> I know. But right? I heard from a lot of people in like direct messages, like Instagram direct messages and stuff like that. So I want to know how many people are, are feeling some weird underlying tension that's not here that they're like, I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop. <laughs> the show to blow up. Yeah, they're like reading into to glances across uh, Zoom here. They're like, oh, yeah, they, they all hate each other. I <laughs> knew it. I knew they hate each other. Yeah. VH1 um, behind the podcast. Tune in. Right. <laughs> but I, I do want to stress something that's really interesting. We were talking about this on the way back from dinner just now. So Sean, so Jake and I, are, we're, we're here for, for television, but, but Sean directly is here for Real Blend. Like the the reason why the, I think the reason why all three of us are here is probably because of Real Blend, and then yeah. the, I would imagine the TV part of it uh, maybe got tacked on. I, I have no idea the the process behind the scenes, but for our show to be go, to going to Paris to to talk to whoever we end up talking to for our <laughs> show um, is a really big deal. Like, and it's not lost on us, you know, it's because of the listeners and and the people who support our show that that we get to keep doing this and. 100%. For our show to be here, it's pretty wild. <laughs> like it's, and this is a major film. This is Ridley Scott's new movie. We've had Ridley on the show um, for was it House of Gucci and Last Duel. So mm-hmm. it, it, this is this is a really exciting thing. Again, I'm not confirming we have Ridley on the show, but we're just uh, you know you can probably well, put I'll, the math together. What I'll say is, is we're being very superstitious here, which is a bit of a bit, but bit of a real thing because we've been burned yeah. before. But yeah. um, the funny thing is, by the time you're listening to this, there's go check our social media pages probably on x uh we'll probably have announced or have some images with these said guests um yes. up already by the time this is out so find your confirmation well, there and then after you listen to this week's episode go find our conversation with francis lawrence who is a bonus episode came out on wednesday he's talking about the hunger games uh that is in theaters right now and we are going to have a review of that later on in the show in the meantime as part of the main show we had eli roth Join the show, uh, join Real Blend. And he is promoting his new film, Thanksgiving, uh, which we're going to have a fantastic conversation about later on in this episode um, because we have differing opinions. I'll just leave it at that. We have differing opinions. Um, But before we do that, I want to get to Eli Roth, who is a terrific guest, someone we uh, are really happy to have on the show. Uh, We talked a bit about Quentin, obviously. We talked about uh, working on Inglorious Bastards. We talked about the trailer that led into the feature film that is now Thanksgiving um, and a bunch of other really, really cool stuff. So without further ado, here's Eli Roth on the Rubblin podcast talking about his new film, Thanksgiving. 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 This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. 
If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, Eli. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. We are so excited to have you on our show. We're a filmmaker-driven podcast, and we love to get into the nuts and bolts of putting this together. And I loved this movie so much. Awesome. Thanks, dude. So Appreciate awesome. it. And had such a great time with it. Um, I want to start here, though, going back to the original trailer, obviously. Um, whose voice narrates that trailer? Because I honestly believe that that narration is more disturbing than any of the visuals. Uh, that's me. In the and, uh, is it? Yeah, because I remember watching those movies. Maybe it was the trailer for Popcorn when I was a kid. seeing the ads. It was all this crazy. I'm going, Popcorn. And I was like, <laughs> I just love that early 80s horror movie trailer voice. So if it was going to yeah. be 1980, it'd be like, it was just me going, you know, just in the microphone. And then just speaking in the edit room of Hostel 2, I just did it. In one night, so that's that's me doing the voice. I can't. And that's Jeff Rendell, our writer, who's playing the pilgrim. Jeff's playing the killer. And I mean, when we decapitated the turkey, my gosh, he'd been all he'd been all out all night with Mike McCarty, who we named McCarty after in the script. And he's in the trailer, running, going, "Get the fuck out of the way!" Mike was from KMBFX, and McCarty is his own effects shop now. And he he made the human turkey. Him and Kevin Wozner did the gore. With uh, Kevin was in the turkey suit, and Jeff had to swing the axe, but he'd been out all night with McCarty in Prague going to bars and was so tired. We were worried, we were worried he was going to chop off Kevin's head for real, but we got it. It was uh, That was a great time. We just shot it in two days at the end of Hostel 2. He tacked on two more days. So it was me doing the trailer voice. That's amazing. I love That's that. so cool. Uh, well, obviously that trailer was a part of Grindhouse and, and so many aspects of Grindhouse were kind of a throwback to that old, like, you know, 70s yeah. sort of grungy, you know, missing reels and the cigarette burns and the scratches and everything. Did you ever consider giving this Thanksgiving film sort of that Grindhouse treatment at all? No, because honestly, I think it works as a three minute trailer. And if you do it extending, look, I love Machete, but my feeling with Thanksgiving is that it works that trailer's a joke with no plot, and that's why it's fun. It's just absurdity. It's like one crazy kill after another, and it feels like it's from 1980. So in the context of Grindhouse, when you're watching Planet Terror and you're watching Death Proof, in between, it feels right. If you stretch that out on its own, I don't. for me, that was never the intention. When, when Jeff and I were 11 and 12 years old, we saw Silent Night, Deadly Night in the theaters. We watched... My Bloody Valentine. We watched Happy Birthday to Me. We watched Halloween. We'd seen Black Christmas. That was the experience we wanted. I mean, you go into The Prowler, P. 
pieces, all these uh, prom night, all these other slasher films or films set around an event. That's what we always wanted to make. It was never about making fun of those movies. It was making one of those movies. And then you see Mute Witness in the 90s, which I think is an underrated, very underrated slasher film. And of course, what Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven did with Scream, um, mm. which is an incredible slasher movie. I loved it so much. That was always the intention is to give, you know, Scream for a new generation. So once you, I think when you don't take it seriously, the audience doesn't take it seriously. But that was never the intention. It was always after Halloween. For me, movies sucked for the rest of the year. It was family movies and Christmas movies. And I'm Jewish, so I just didn't give a fuck about Christmas movies. They meant yeah. nothing to me. So <laughs> I just was waiting until January for another slasher film. So I wanted to fill the November void and make a great classic slasher and give you know the next generation their own killer with John Carver. Dude, I lovingly called this movie, I know what you did last Thanksgiving. Like it has <laughs> Kevin Williamson's bones in it. Like it, yeah. you nailed it. You get right to that. Well, Kevin and I obviously are drinking from the same well, you know, we're close in age and we grew up with the same sources. And Kevin was obviously very influenced by, you know, John Williams films, uh, no, John, John Hughes films. And I was very mm. influenced by Bob Clark. You know, I love Porky's and I do love Christmas Story. And I think... Black Christmas is a masterpiece and death, death Dream. I think Bob Clark is one of the most underregulated directors of all time. Um, and the way Porky's is shot, the high school scenes are so beautiful that, you know, when, when Jeff and I were making this, we're like, wow, this is like we're making a high school movie and a slasher movie and also a kind of Jallo film with police investigation too. So we kind of got to pick our lane here. Um, but, you know, the, the influences that got in there, you know, I, I had my, my DP Milan, we shot... Hostel and Hostel 2 together, we watched, I showed him the diner scene in five easy pieces. I said, this is what the diner looks like. And the yeah. actor's like, what should we watch? What horror movies? I said, don't watch horror movies. Watch Sorcerer by William Friedkin. Look yeah. at the performances. And the girls were like, what should we watch? I said, watch Betty Blue. Because Beatrice Dahl was 21. What are you going to do? That's what she was doing at 21. You're 22. That's the level I expect from you. And then, nice. you know, and then I said, what else can we watch? We want to see more. I said, watch Diva. Because there's no minor characters in that movie. Every single character in that movie is cool and is interesting the way Tarantino did it in True Romance. So, like, I wanted to break their brain a little bit. And I said, watch Toby Dammit by Fellini. I had my DP watch that. And then we saw Mute Witness before shooting. And my lead actress, Nell Verlack, I said, look at Mute Witness. Look at the way the whole movie hangs on her face in close-ups. The whole story is told through her eyes. She doesn't say a word. The whole film. And you, you understand everything she's going through. That's the performance we're going for here. And that's right. what, when you can achieve greatness, is when you take it seriously and I take the kills seriously and, and all the cast was so game and really, really going for it. We just had, just had the right energy from Patrick Dempsey to Rick Hoffman, Gina Gershon, Tim Dillon, and then the whole young cast where you have incredible theater actor, Nell Verlack, who's a true discovery. He's like young Julia Roberts and someone like Addison Rae, who's so known for social media, is really showing her acting chops in this film in a way she never has before she's incredible right. and then the new faces like Tommaso Sinelli and Gabriel Davenport and Jenna Warren and you know Jalen Brooks who's done television and Milo Mannheim who's done the Disney zombie movies has never gotten to do R-rated stuff so it's really fun to put all these incredible actors and just have them bringing their A-game with every scene and they just it, it was the most fun I've ever had shooting I've never had a cast that worked together like this that just loved being there loved being on set they came to set even when they weren't shooting, just because they wanted to be there. They didn't want to miss anything that happened. So it was a special time. 
Uh, Eli, I want you to elaborate on something you do extremely well twice here, which is uh, staging large scale crowd chaos. Uh, the Black Friday sequence is going to go down as an all-timer. Thank you. Um, but there's a ton of craft into where you're deciding what to show. There's a terrific, you know, four security cameras that are capturing the the, the madness that's happening. Can you just talk about those nights, putting that stuff together? It, we shot that in four nights. Yeah. Two nights outside, two nights inside, which is crazy for a sequence like that. Uh, I like to normally shoot one camera, um, but in certain cases, it's helpful to have a second camera and multiple, you know, uh, director named Justin Harding I worked with on my show, The Haunted Museum, is a great director, kind of came in and did second unit, um, and we had a second camera. So that one, I was like, I need, no matter what we're shooting, set up the security cameras and we'll see which angles work. But, you know, we storyboarded, he works in Frameforge, we did some previs. But for me, a great chaotic sequence works when you can follow what's going on and you see it through the eyes of the characters. So now I need th these moments from Jessica and she's with Bobby and this is what Evan's going through and this is what Gabby's going through. It's if you keep it intimate, you feel the chaos more. Um, we had an amazing, amazing stunt team. Dan Skeen, our stunt coordinator, we really rehearsed it. He had 20 stunt people and then we had 600 extras the first night and then we had 200 extras that are rioting in the store and he works with the extras. He's like, okay, these four stunt people are gonna be here. He's gonna do a flip and throw them into this. This is the area that's set up to be destroyed. And we're gonna place a camera here and we're gonna place a camera there. And we're just gonna go for it. There's no yeah. other way to do it. You just fucking go for it. And you pray to yeah. God that no one gets hurt. But when you rehearse it and you're careful and you discuss it, it really can work great. And the extras, you know, look, we're in Toronto, at, in Hamilton, Ontario. So the Canadians are very polite. They were like, sorry, okay. And, and I said to them at the beginning, I'm like, this is the way this is going to work. We all have to act like we want to kill each other. But as soon as I yell cut, you look to the person to your right. Are you okay? Do you hurt? Like, if you're going to shove someone, let's discuss it. Say, I want to, you know, do you want to, are you okay? Are you, what are you comfortable with? And they, and it was great. Like, making everybody part of the scene. Like, we are creating this together. This isn't like, here's the stars, here's stunts, and you're the extras. They go, no, 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 no. We want to create a classic scene. So you really engage everyone. And I talked to the crowd. I was like, okay, this is, you got to build the tension. It's like Titanic with the water filling up. I said, it's fun. They get in and then it gets dangerous. Then it gets scary. Then it gets terrifying. And then all hell breaks loose. I was right. like, okay, if this is level one to 10, one being lowest, 10 being the most terrifying, now we're at a six. Okay, now we're going to go to a level eight of panic. But now we're at this moment, I need you guys at a four. And they understood that. They were like, okay, like, hey, you're starting to get annoyed. It's starting to get... So you could really direct, you know, the background. And they had the time of their lives doing it. And also, when you're four nights all night shooting in a store, everybody kind of becomes friends. Like, you, there's, no, there's no bullshit. There's no, like, oh, I'm the director. I'm in my trailer. Like, we're all in this together. And it was a low-budget movie. So that was the attitude. It's like everyone was hanging out. Everyone was cool. It was like, a, a you know, Tim Dillon was there on set keeping it light and... It was, it was great because we all loved each other. So it was one of those nights where all the cast really got to hang out because you're not separated. So, you know, Rick Hoffman from Suits is just a fun, and Gina Gershon and everybody's there. Patrick's the coolest. So it, it was really an incredible vibe. But it took, you know, nine years or 20 years, uh, nine movies and 20 years of making movies for me to really kind of have the mastery to stage a scene like that and pull it off. That's and it was the cool. crew. We had a great crew. You know, that, that sequence, and the movie as a whole features, I think, uh, some of the best kills of your career. And there's some, some truly brutal ones in this one. I am curious, over your entire career, which kill 
got the most notes from the MPAA or they came back and they were like, dude, you got to trim this one down a lot. Uh, look, I love the MPAA and they're cool and it's never a fight with them and they get what I do and their intention is to help protect the movie. So that version, whereas like in New Zealand, they'll just those two minutes are out. Sorry, the entire Lorna sequence in Hostel 2. Gone, beginning to oh, end. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, because really? it's the government. It's elected officials. So they're right. never going to defend Gore. They're always going to do what they need to do to get elected. And they go, I protected you from violence. And where the fans wow. are get the ones that get fucked. So in America, it's self-policing so that we don't have government interference. And they make suggestions. They don't tell you, they're like... Look, this area is still too intense. And it was Lorna. It was uh, Heather Monterazzo's bloodbath in Hostel 2 that it was like probably nine times back and forth. And I eventually said to them, look, if her acting was worse, would it be as upsetting? They go, no. I go, so you're not punishing me for the gore. You're punishing her for doing a great job. But she did the movie because she wanted to do that scene. And she had something to let out and express. And it's one of the most incredible scenes of her career. The scene works because of Heather's acting, because it's a girl crying for her mom. That's why it's upsetting. It's not the blood. It's not the gores. It's her performance. And what you're doing now is you're punishing the performance. And that's not about the rating. And they said, you're right. We can take that to the group and we're protecting it. And I got to that point, you know, here. I was like, I understand the scene is upsetting, but is it upsetting because it's bloody or is it upsetting because the acting is good? And once you get into that territory, they go, you're right. I go, don't punish the actor for doing a brilliant job. This is the moment they've been waiting for their whole career to do a scene like this. And you want to cut their acting? That's not okay. And they go, yeah, you're right. And that's it. And they're cool. I I don't think I realized that you could have those sort of conversations. You can. The ratings board, look, you can appeal. But like, think of it like if you think your paper deserves an A and your teacher's like, it's got to be. And you go and you talk to the teacher and you're like, but I did this and I did that. And then, well, I was looking for more of that. Maybe you bump it up to a B B plus or an A minus. Like you can actually talk. That's what it is. Like when you approach the ratings board as fellow filmmakers and artists, even though it's teachers, it's parents, it's people from the community. When you say we are doing this, I understand what you do, but I'm an artist and this is how I'm expressing myself and this is why this is important to me and this is why it's important for the people paying money to buy a ticket for this experience. Don't deny them that experience. I understand you might find it personally distasteful but it's been done in these three other films and what they're seeing on TV is far worse. What they see on their phone is far worse. Give them that moment. Otherwise, what's the point of doing the movie without that payoff? And they go, yes, we will protect it. And when you have a conversation as civil people then you get much farther than you do as opposed to being combative. It's the same thing as anything in life. But it's the that's only cool. format where you can talk to them. You can't talk to them in England. They give you the rating and that's it. There's no discussion. It's three people that decide. You're not allowed to talk to them. They talk to the studio. The MPAA is the only system that they treat you with respect. They talk to you like an artist. You, as the director, can request to have direct conversations with them. That is your right as the director. And they will talk to you. And that's mm-hmm. it. You go, what are we looking at? They go, right now it's a little, you're in the NC-17 territory. I go, what would it take to get me an R? They go, look at this scene, look at this scene. I go, okay, let me look at them. And that's, and that's how it goes. That's cool. That's really cool. They're cool. Um, 
I want to, Eli, I want to talk to you about a specific sequence uh, in the film and I'll dance around spoilers, but there's a sequence um, in the house with the pitchfork um, where John Carver is essentially following a character around. And in the course of that, it felt like you were flexing a muscle, you know, uh, of all the things you've learned about generating suspense in your films up to that point. And I would love for you to just talk to me about what you've learned about really ratcheting up the tension because yes, the kills in this movie are are really funny and really creative and clever, but it was during that particular sequence where I was the most uncomfortable and was waiting for you to just let me off the hook. And I see hooks in the background that reminded me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I was like, I think he's just having a ton of fun here, really turning the screws on the audience. I was, well, thank you very much. That's one of the sequences I'm most proud of. Um, it's that we know what we're gonna get to, but we don't know how we're gonna get there. Um, and, you know, I walked through it with my DP, Milan Khadima, and Jeff, the writer. And what I think makes Cat and Mouse work, and we looked at the first 45 minutes of Mute Witness, where she's escaping these guys. She's accidentally walked in on a snuff film. She's hiding in the elevator. She drops down. There's a key. She's got to reach a key. There's a trap. There's a whole series of events. And it's so clear. You watch her making intelligent decisions and outsmarting them and staying a step ahead and then get, almost getting caught and then doing something. It's really just thinking through beat by beat. And what I love about it is that is the purest form of cinema. There's no dialogue, there's no nothing. Sometimes there's music, sometimes it isn't. It's just the guy comes in and she's gone and he's got to find her. So we found this incredible barn that we were shooting at. Now, it was next to where we did the McCarty house. There was this barn and we wanted to shoot something in there. Um, and we thought this is gonna, this could be a classic sequence where it's just, what you want in a slasher film, which is the person hiding from the killer and the killer finding them and them staying one step ahead. And we were looking around and there was a pitchfork right there. And we're like, he's gonna grab a pitchfork. And that reminded me of the Prowler. I love the Prowler. So now John Carver's got the pitchfork and the, you know, the burned mask. It's like, it's like he's putting it on for fun. And then it becomes a whole sequence with a burned mask. It's, it's terrifying. And it feels like you're in a slasher film. But we thought, how do we use this? And Jeff is great at this stuff. You know, we're like, okay, then, Okay, what if he knocks over some, you know, this prop? So you'll think it's that character. And what if you think, and then they go here. And it's just walking through and kind of figuring out those beats and then going, getting to a point where, you know, we, we just start thinking like, oh, you can have where this happens. We just sort of walked through it like a few days before shooting. Mm -hmm. And I could plan it out. And Justin Harding is a genius at this program, Frameforge. So I walk through it with Justin. We discuss it. We write it. We know where we're going to. We know where we're starting. We know where we're going to get to. And I know I have a day to shoot it, or two day and a half, or two days to shoot it. So I go with Justin. We we I write out the shots. He can build the room, build the camera, build the lenses, and in Frameforge, with kind of virtually do the whole thing. So we have the whole thing built in Frameforge, which is like an, a moving animatic in a very rudimentary way. And he's all weekend, me and him are going back and forth. I'm going, cut to a close up there, put an angle here, move the camera there and he can build it out. So we go, this is, and then we can cut it together and I'm sending it to my editor and she's cutting it together going, you're going to need a shot of that. So when you go in to do it, it's just execution. We're not figuring it out on the day. We're going through, walking through, thinking about it, shot listing it, building it out in Frameforge. And that's why it turned out as clean as it did. We just spent oh. the time to figure it out and it just looked right. And then I could have my production designer and let's have this, it really, I wanted that Texas Chainsaw Massacre of Pam when she goes to the house and there's the bird cages and the meat hook, like, and then the pitchfork and Jeff was like, no, we can do the, you know, 
What if it's like in Predator when he thinks they, they set a trap, but the Predator doesn't fall for it? Like, you know, finding all of those things that we, that we love in movies, that cat and mouse where you think they're going to get away, they almost get away, but then do they get away or not? It's that, it's that tension. That's what makes these movies great. I'm so glad you enjoyed it because it was, uh, you know, we, we worked really hard on that. And that was at the end of the shoot. And, and Milan and Jeff and I, you know, when you're like, I hadn't shot a horror movie in 10 years. So the beginning you're like, not rusty, but you're like, oh yeah, this is what it is. Those last, that sequence was the last thing we shot as well as the corn holders in the ears. And you like, it was pure. <laughs> and it felt like we hit our stride. Felt yeah. like it was 35 day shoot. Those were the last four days. And we're like, man, this is the movie. We found it. This is yeah. the tone of the movie that I've been wanting to hit. This yeah. is Thanksgiving. And if I'm lucky enough to do another one, if you look at that sequence in the house with Kathleen and the pitchfork and the, the stuff with Yulia, that's, I, I was like, that's all I want to do from now on. Good. Good. That's incredible. Um, I want to, you mentioned uh, just sort of the, the, the vibes of everyone on the set. And I kind of want to expand on that because I've always thought my dream is to be killed in a horror film. I just feel like that would just be like the ultimate coolest thing to ever happen. So I want to talk about people showing up on set the day they know they're being killed. What is their vibe like? Are they excited? Is it, is it like Chris, is that sort of Christmas day for an actor in a horror film? Like, like, like how is that, that day different for an actor compared to every other day? Actors are doing the movie to do the death scene. That's why they're there. <laughs> Everybody is curious about their own death. And so now you have Adrian Moreau, who wins the Academy Award for Makeup, recreating your death. It's the one, th we'll never see our birth. Well, you can see a video of your birth. We're never going to see our death. We will never see it. Everybody else might, but we will never see it. So wow. there is a natural curiosity to know what that looks like. And when the actors do it, they want it to be the best death in the movie. They are there to go for it. And you have someone like Amanda Barker, who grew up in Hanover, Massachusetts, who plays Lizzie in the diner and is known for comedy. She's in Groundlings. There was like a phone commercial that was on every morning. We'd see her oh, like, you know, like, and, and she has a wicked accent, like Amanda Barker from Hanover. And she's an actual descendant of John Carver. <laughs> So when we're shooting oh, her scene awesome. where her face goes in the water and it gets stuck against things, she's, I mean, she had tears in her eyes because she's a huge horror movie fan. And I showed her the teaser trailer where you see her face stuck up against the freezer and she started crying. She's like, I never thought in my career this would happen to me. She like actually couldn't even speak. She was so emotional. She was really like, this is so beautiful. Like it meant so, so much awesome. to her that her lifelong dream was to be in a horror. She's like, I can't believe it really happened. You made it come true. So for the, the kids that are doing the death scenes, they're like so ready to go for it. And they want that scene to be the scariest, most disturbing, shocking scene in the movie. And then you play it back for them. And it's kind of sad when they're gone. They're not on set anymore. It's like, don't have to deal with them. Like their little dressing room thing goes away. Their wardrobe gets put away. Like maybe you have their body parts, but... That's it. Everyone's <laughs> like, wow, it's just, there is this feeling of, man, it's just us now. And then sometimes they'll come and visit set and it's like, aren't you dead? What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I've always said I, th I would rather be killed halfway through the movie than end up being the killer. I just think that would be far more satisfying. Yeah, to, having, uh, I, so I did it in death. Cabin Fever. I mean, when we were shooting um, one of the kill scenes on the last night of shooting, everybody else 
it came and hung out. They were like, we set up like a green room. We're shooting in someone's house and they set up their basement was a green room. And every time I came down, there was another cast member that was there hanging out. I was like, what are you doing here? And they're like, we didn't want to miss it. It's the last night. It's their kill scene. We wanted to be them. Like the actors were there to support everybody during the other kill scenes. And I was like, do you want them there? They're like, it's kind of annoying, but also kind of sweet. So I was like, <laughs> she's like, if they're annoying me, I'll tell you. But otherwise, yeah, I'll let them stay. Oh, that's right. cool. I want to ask you about the use of the Misfits, um, because when I listen to the Misfits music, I picture in my head a lot of what you recreated uh, in Thanksgiving. So awesome. to me, it's the perfect choice to go over the end credits. Uh, I have to assume you're a fan. Can you talk a bit about that choice? Yeah, I love the Misfits. I mean, I grew up with the Misfits. We love the Misfits skulls, the fiend, the imagery, the whole vibe of the band, their whole aesthetic. Uh, you know, growing up in Massachusetts, like East Coast, punk rock. I love the Misfits. And Glenn Danzig asked me to be in his movie, uh, Death Rider in the House of the Seven Vampires, which he still oh. has not released, by the way. He made okay. it completely independently. Um, and... I acted it. I was like, of course I'll do it because I, you know, just wanted to watch Glenn Danzig direct. What is that experience? It was like being in an experimental movie. It was amazing. And it was Devin Sawa and Julian Sands and Jen and Sylvia Soska and Lee Ving from Fear was on set and everybody was doing cameos in this movie and we fitted my vampire teeth and I play a Drac Cassidy, a vampire henchman of Julian Sands. And we had the best time wearing the duster, the six shooter with silver bullets. And I, I, I loved it. I love Glenn. I mean, it was one of those things. I just showed up to have a great time and be there for him. And he's like, man, if you ever need one of my songs, you got it. Or he was a big fan of Hostel. We kind of met through that. And I, okay. he always would get me tickets. Hey, I'm playing. Like, tell Eli, you know, I got him tickets if he wants to. So I'd seen the Misfits on Halloween at the Universal Amphitheater. And when Jay oh, Hernandez awesome. was making Hostel, he put on the Misfits to psych himself up for the torture scene. So he knew that, like, we were listening to the Misfits making Hostel. And then he became a fan of Hostel. So I asked him for Where Eagles Dare for the end credits. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you know, I was like, this is all the money we have. He's like, don't worry about it. I'm happy to be a part of it. Incredible. I love him. Great Dan's choice. the man. He hooked Great it up. That's cool. And everybody in the band. It was very cool of them. That's awesome. I wanted uh, fun well, end credits. I wanted end credits to be like, those are the best end credits I've ever seen in a horror film. I wanted a credit sequence that was people go separate from the movie. The credit sequence was so fucking awesome. And shout out to Filmograph. Uh, Aaron, Seth, and Troy and the guys at Filmograph. They did my credits on House of the Clock and its Walls and Borderlands. They're amazing. They're artists. And I said, let's do a landmark credit sequence. It's sort of recaps all the fun we had in the movie and does it stylize and over the top and very much in tone with the animation that I, I did in film school. So it was wild. Well, the melodic chorus of I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch. It's just, it's the best lyric ever. I love it. No, I love it. I just yeah. wanted the way to go. And it just fit perfectly. And look, I tried a lot of songs but I was like, man, if we don't get the Misfits. I tried uh, Roberto Donati's music from uh, Cannibal Ferox, which worked pretty well. But I was like, we need this iconic, you know, the Misfits at the end credits. We just need it. I hadn't seen it in a horror movie. And the Misfits are so closely tied. I think there's a real symbiosis or synergy with horror movie and punk rock. It's yeah. like fits yeah. in the category of music, but it's got a middle finger up to the establishment something your parents get annoyed at. It's a little bit dangerous. The lyrics are 
doing stuff, saying things you're not supposed to say, breaking all the rules of how a song is supposed to sound. And I think horror movies, when they're at their best, do the same thing. Right on. Uh, Eli, we're about to have to let you go, but you, you mentioned the ability to be able to call people up and, and just ask them for, for favors or, or, or what have you. And this isn't meant to be a, a name drop because you could beat us in that category in any sense. But one of the coolest uh, tapings of this show that Sean and I have ever had is we got to tape an episode of it at Quentin Tarantino's house. Um, he invited us to his house. And so I kind of want to talk about your, your working relationship with Quentin. I know it goes all the way back to, to Hostel, to, to making Thanksgiving for Grindhouse, obviously for Bastards. I'm just sort of curious... I know like like us, you're a fan of, of Quentin. I'm sort of curious what that relationship has meant to you and what it taught you that you want to give to the next generation when you're sort of looking out at the new talent of filmmakers and sort of, as Jack Lemmon says, sending the elevator back down uh, for that next generation of filmmakers. Yeah, well, look, you know, Quentin meant the world to me. And I remember my student film, Restaurant Dogs, was a tribute to Reservoir Dogs. And that was pre-Pulp Fiction. I, I always call myself the original Tarantino ripoff. Um, and I met Lawrence Bender, met me when I was in film school because his sister lived on my floor and I'd covered it in pictures of Reservoir Dogs. Was, I was in charge of decorating the floor as the RA and did it as like cinema changed in 1992, November 3rd when Reservoir Dogs was released. I, like I made a huge deal. That movie, I was like, this cinema has changed whether you realize it or not from Reservoir Dogs. And I was so happy that blood was back. It meant everything to me. And so when I, I remember my first, you know, one of my first meetings on Cabin Fever with a producer when I had a script was at this restaurant Birds and I saw someone's like Quentin Tarantino's right over there. And I was like, went over to him like, sorry to bother you. I'm a huge fan. I'm trying to make a horror movie. He's like, oh man, good luck with that. And he was so like, just go make a great movie. And you know, and, and that was it. And then like, and then when I was shooting it, KMB came in and did the effects and they had just done Kill and they were telling Quentin about it. And you know, he came to a screening. He's like, I really want to see it. And he's like, I, I came to a screening at the LA Film Festival, invited me to his house. He was like, he treated me like a friend, like we grew up together in the video store, you know? We had parallel childhoods and different ways in the East Coast and same influences. And he knew that my love of horror movies was so pure, just like his, the way he loved that kind of slightly different generation. He loved the 70s exploitation movies and I love slasher films, but he loved them too. So finally, it's like meeting another alien on your same planet who speaks that same language as you. We could reference that movie. That you know, in the way that he had Roger Avery, I had Jeff Randell. So Finally, Jeff met Quentin when we did Grindhouse and we all became friends. So it really, it's so beautiful that the movie's opening at the Vista Theater, which is, you know, his newly reopened theater on 35 millimeter. It's, it's, yeah. it's incredible. I mean, what Quentin has done for me, you know, it's more than a friend. It's a brother. It's a family member. Uh, it's a soul, soul brother, I, I, you know, soulmate. Like, I, I love Quentin so much as you can't even put it into words. He's such an incredible, generous person. And that's why I always try to do that. Look, John Watts made a parody trailer of Hostel with clown and I, I, and so i found him and i said let's turn this into a feature film and now he's directing spider-man and brad pitt and he's one of the biggest directors in hollywood but deservedly so and then you know with with last exorcism damien chazelle was working as a math tutor when we hired him to write the sequel and it, it's great like when you can pass that forward with daniel stam or just finding new actors like you know julia garner was in last exorcism too or finding anna de Armas and lorenza izzo for knock knock and just just finding these Cami Marone is in Death Wish. She'd never acted before. I put her in Death Wish. She was 19, and now she's Emmy-nominated for Daisy Jones and the Six. So, you know, I feel that way with Nell Verlack and with Addison and these incredible young actors that you're giving them an opportunity to shine, and horror movies can do that. You know, they'd never get a chance to be a lead in a theatrical movie 
were it not a horror film, but they really hold the screen. They're incredible, incredible young actors. So with Patrick and Rick and Gina, when we were like the, you know, the old guard, the veterans, we loved having the energy of these 20 year olds on set because they were just so happy to be there. And we could say, man, remember when we were that excited? We weren't jaded. They just made it a happy set. So I do think it's important to send the elevator back down and to help that. And that's what I tried with Crypt TV. And that's what, you know, with all the kind of different filmmakers that I, now I can do it with the Haunted Museum and Urban Legend. It goes through my life. There's with Justin Harding and Kat Hostick and Roxy Shee. There's so many great directors that, you know, Adam McDonald, I can help out with him. It's just, it's, there's so many great directors out there that as a producer, it's really, you know, Rizza on uh, Man with the Iron Fist to give the next generation, to give other people their shot. It's an incredible position to be in. It's beautiful to when they flourish, you know? Love that. Uh, Eli, we love you. We could honestly talk to you all day. This has been a complete blast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. uh, We're going to tell everybody to go see Thanksgiving because it's it's so much fun. Yeah. Did you sit through the credits? The tag at the end of the credits. No, I didn't. Uh, I left. All right. Too bad. I have to go see it again. Can you tell us what it is? No. (laughs) (laughs) Then I'll buy a ticket opening weekend and I'll go see what it is. There you go. Yeah. Thanks, Bye, guys. Thank yeah. you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to Eli Roth for joining the show. Someone we were really excited to get on the program uh, and to be able to talk about Thanksgiving. Thank you to our good friends at Sony Pictures Entertainment as well, too, for hooking us up with screenings of that movie and the chance to get Eli on the show. So Thanksgiving, as you guys know, uh, there was the Grindhouse experiment where Tarantino did one movie and Robert Rodriguez did another movie. And they mashed the two of them together and played them as a double feature, which was a grindhouse sort of homage back to the movies of the 70s and 80s horror films that they grew up uh, loving, essentially. And it was, you know, modified, scratched film prints and over-the-top gore uh, to throw back to that genre. And then in the middle of the, um, the two double feature, the two features, they had these mock trailers that have since gone on to become, in some cases... Feature films, Machete uh, has become a feature film, and now Eli Roth has made Thanksgiving. We have two other trailers that that didn't make the cut just yet. They haven't been made. Don't. Uh, well, yeah, don't by Edgar Wright. And then what is the what the is the Rob were, werewolves women of the, of the SS? Something like that. Excellent, Rob okay. Rob well, Zombie. Yeah. If they would like to make that, they they can. Um, I want to talk about Thanksgiving, and then I'll let Jake go uh, because. I loved this movie so much. And maybe my expectations... Okay, have you saw it too? I loved it. Oh, outstanding. I guess my expectations were low because it's a movie based on a fake trailer, essentially. Um, But I thought it was a perfect representation of an 80s serial killer slasher mode. It is essentially... I know what you did last summer, but based around Thanksgiving... There is a um, a huge opening sequence that sets up a uh, some like someone who will come back and be a serial killer. Essentially, it gives you a group of you know close friends who are victimized one at a time by the serial killer. It has some of the goriest, most wonderful kills I've seen on screen in a really long time. Uh, just the kind that made me really laugh as they were playing out because they're so over the top and gruesome. And uh, I, I just had a time in my life with it. Like, I was laughing throughout the entire thing and clapping and having a really good time. 
and just really loving it. And I, Kev, it sounds like you're on my on my wavelength. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciated the fact that he didn't make the movie a bit um, like because the trailer itself is clearly it's an it's a it's a bit in itself. It's a, it's you know, it's a fun, like almost like satirical or like I would say like joking look at slasher films in the middle of this Grindhouse movie. And I remember seeing Grindhouse in theaters and Grindhouse, even though it was brutal, Death, Death Proof in particular was probably the more in my opinion, the more disturbing. I mean, they were all disturbing. Um, but Planet Terror and the trailers, to me, felt a little more like winking to the audience, and Death Proof did as well. But Death Proof and Planet Terror had some pretty disturbing stuff. Um, but my thought process going into Thanksgiving was that he was going to continue it more like a bit rather than an actual slasher film. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that Eli Roth did well here is he kind of found a balance of the two. There's a lot of jokes and one-liners, and it's meant to be a little cheesy and, and funny at times, but then he does have actual, legit, scary moments and legit deaths, um, like brutal like horror movie deaths. And so it, you've seen this movie before. I mean, it's not like, you know, I know what you did last summer, Scream, all the slasher films and Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. You've seen this concept happen before, but there is this underlying tone where it, it, it's, it takes itself seriously but not— too seriously, but at the same time, it's still scary and 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 actually really interestingly done. Um, there were scenes that in that were in the Grindhouse trailer that I was fascinated to see him play out. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the scenes that was in the trailer that I still find extremely disturbing is the trampoline sequence, yeah. and the way he ups that in the movie is insane. Um, He also, I talked to him about this in the TV junket. He got away with a lot of blood in this movie. And I was interested from an MPA perspective, how he, how he did that. Like, I mean, one of the most famous stories ever that I remember hearing, which I've never even really looked up to find out if it was true. I'm assuming it is Martin Scorsese with taxi driver, having to make the blood a little more orange instead of red because he was, because of getting like an NC-17 or X ratings, they were really worried about how red the blood was, which is why it looks mm-hmm. a little more orange in the movie. Um, the MPA has a big problem with red blood for some reason. And Thanksgiving does not shy away from that um, in any way. Um, and he does everything you would expect him to do and more in terms of like what a Thanksgiving dinner would be in a slasher <laughs> film. Like it's really yeah. disturbing. Um, the end, like the genu- end when they get genuinely. To the is it's off the charts disturbing um so for me like i think he took a bit like a fun bit that he did in the middle of a grindhouse movie and he made it into an actual fun horror slasher film um my biggest worry was that like i said i thought it was just gonna be a bit the whole time and i actually think they did a good job listen is this one of the best horror films I've ever seen? No. But I mean, I, I, I just enjoyed it. I had fun with it. It made me laugh. And if you're a fan of Grindhouse, I've been wanting to see this movie for like 16 years. Like, I, I always hoped he would make it. Like, I don't know. I worried it was just a, a good premise for a trailer, you know, but it, it, that struck but me as a good premise for a trailer. I always kind of thought, I was like, because you know he narrates that trailer. That's him going, Thanksgiving. That's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I always just... I don't know. That was always something I thought about. Not that I ever like was anticipating it completely, but I'm just happy he made it. It's fun. I mean, it's, it, if you're a Grindhouse fan, check it out. Jake, you're our resident horror guy. How'd you feel about 
Thanks. Uh, it it Th- very much uh, did not work for me, uh, and I am and I am a really big uh, I'm a big grindhouse guy. This this didn't work for me. Um, the the closest thing so I can wrong? compare it to. Here's the thing, the, <laughs> Kevin. Do you remember when they released? Um, the two individual Grindhouse movies on DVD. They didn't Very release upsetting. them as, uh, as a double feature. They cleaned up the whole Grindhouse aspect of it. They took out the scratches and the missing reels and the cigarette burns. They took out everything that made it a Grindhouse movie. And when you take the bit away, they're kind of just meh movies. Like, like they're, they, they're, there's got to be death, that Grindhouse element actually- to it. Death Proof, Death really Proof has great moments, but there's a lot of slog getting into the good stuff. Uh, you know, yes. normally normally Quentin can can rest on his dialogue, but the dialogue in Death Proof is not strong enough to rest on. This is what Thanksgiving reminds me of. It reminds me of a DVD release of one of the Grindhouse films. <laughs> it feels like you like you say that it's not a bit. I would argue it's not a good enough movie not to be a bit. Um, I think if you take away sort of the the grindhouse angle of it, it's just a very generic B horror movie that I think we're giving more credit to because of what it's aspiring to be. But like, boom! You didn't think the you didn't, not, think, you didn't think the de- the deaths were creative? Like, like there were I, some fun ones, like with the water and like the cold, you know, the, the cold wall and all that stuff oh, like that. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but over, overall, to me, it felt like a very like like this this would have been a a movie that would have gathered dust uh, in the eighties on the on the video room shelves because it came out in the wake That's of Halloween. Crazy, and, and it's just it doesn't have the script or the story or the performances uh to to back anything up and 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 it's not i argue like like you guys say that like it's not a bit i argue it needs to be a bit like i Jake, needed well no i needed I, the I, grindhouse aspect of it don't you get it ears of corn They're i got it i got it corn. i got it no i got it <laughs> no. but it's not it's not scary it's not smart it's not funny it's not it's not any of those things it's just not you're not smart see i I would argue because this was a movie that apparently Eli Ross wanted to make since he was a kid. I think that's I think that's how it all started. And then the grindhouse part of it, it sounds like from a, from the timeline. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But it sounded like this was a movie he wanted to make as a kid, and then the grindhouse trailer was just a part of a bit of the movie. See, my argument against what you were saying just now is that like I think the bit is still there. It's just that he took it. I still think he made a legit good slasher film. Like like it's not just like a winking let's laugh like haha this is goofy kind of thing there are like i mean listen at the end of the day i think where we are now as a movie going audience we've seen almost everything in terms of the way a a slasher film can play out in terms of how a kill can be done and the older i get the less i like watching disturbing movies with disturbing violence and i think the way eli roth made this film was he made it in a comfortable enough way where it it, it kept a bit tone, but it still genuinely had increasingly disturbing death sequences. Well, but the and death that scenes whole sequence, them, Kevin with the yeah. pitchfork throughout the yeah. house, that's a that's a tense scene. I think that that's yeah. a really well done suspenseful scene. I think he's just jumping in and out of being a bit and not being a bit. I think, and I think mm-hmm. maybe that's why Jake had a problem. Is like it didn't. It, it it's like it's it. I get what it's he's not, saying. I, I understand. The, the, the best thing, honestly, the best way I can uh, summarize it is: it's not good enough not to be a bit. So in other words, it's not, it's not, it's not no good enough to stand up. 
it's not good enough to stand on its own. Like it, it, it kind of just proves that like it was a great idea for a trailer, and maybe it should have just stayed that Dude, way. Dude, would so you? Can I, just, can I? Can I ask it this way? I haven't, I haven't seen the film yet, um, but I'll ask each of you individually, and let let everyone go before we discuss. If this hadn't been the movie based on the trailer from the thing, would you be interested in this movie? Like from the from this trailer, like it's real trailer. Ian Roth making this movie, usual marketing cycle, not. It's from Grindhouse and this anticipation. Is it a movie that you'd be like, oh, I'm interested in seeing? I have to say yes, because I, I, I like Eli Roth returning to the genre. Sure. I mean, like, obviously, you so, know. Well, real quick, Sean, f- Sean, do you have a thought? Oh, and then we I, can discuss. I also, I would have said no, I wasn't interested in it because I would have thought it was cheesy. But then I thought the execution far ex- exceeded what I was hoping to get out of it. And Jake, was this something that you think would? I, I would have said Yes, but hoping that it was what I needed it to be, and it wasn't in my eyes. I think I would have like I would have watched it, hoping, God, I hope this is like a throwback '70s '80s kind of movie. And in a lot of ways, I see what he's trying to do, but he didn't go there enough. I, I felt I really do feel like like I, I argue it's not a bit of enough. You guys argue somewhere in the camp. I I kind of get a vibe like. Eli kind of wanted to have his cake and eat it too in the sense that like he he kind of recognized he it needed to sort of be a bit in a way but also he did want the movie to be taken seriously in its own right and I feel like when you're making a movie like this you got to pick one camp or the other. So you think it was I mean, like, it's one, like it's like one big turkey the movie is? You have to stop. <laughs> you have to stop. I, I will I will say this so Paris has changed you. This <laughs> I don't. Good this is not gonna. This is not gonna. <laughs> sp- <laughs> <laughs> so you did, you think the movie just had too much stuffing in it? <laughs> I feel really bad for these these uh, these people we're supposed to interview tomorrow. Do you think instead of uh, corn syrup they use cranberry sauce for the for the blood? <laughs> Now that would have been a great I, line. Wait, why didn't Eli Roth use that? I honestly, that when I been... thought of the joke, I was like, you know what? There might be a cranberry sauce joke in this movie, and I just don't know it yet. There isn't, but is there that, should be. That might be the most missed opportunity ever. They could have done a whole, like a whole psycho bit, like they could have done the screen bit. No, I think, um, so, okay, I'm going to talk vaguely about the film and talk more about the trailer for a second. In the trailer, there's a sequence where there's a person on the table who has been cooked for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, All I will tell you is that, that the movie is gearing towards that sequence. I won't tell you how or why it happens, but that was disturbing. (laughs) Like Sean, that was really messed up. Like, like take away the, (laughs) it did not. It made me want to throw up. It was so gross. Anyway, so the film delivers on those things you saw in the trailer and then some. It's not like the best movie ever made. I'm not sitting here saying it's a five-star film. I just enjoyed it. I, okay. it you, just, know, you know right now the studio can lift your quote and just go, the best movie ever made, Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, didn't that happen with you at Twilight where they just like took a portion of your quote? Yeah, I think I, I my Rotten Tomatoes quote for the first Twilight was, it was something along the lines of like, um, it was something about, it was something about despite it being... Like not, I don't remember what I said, but it was it was, it was not the best, not the best Twilight movie, and they just put the best Twilight, the movie. best Twilight movie, right? 
<laughs> yeah, I, or I was surprised how intense and powerful the film was, and they just put oh, intense, they put intense and, powerful and powerful at the top <laughs> well, of the you guys New York ever Times that, article. Since we're talking about like messing up quotes, you guys ever see that poster for what was that um, movie where Tom Hardy played twins? And they did oh, that legend. thing where they put yeah, they did that thing where they put like you know like the four star reviews, like all the four star reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they had the two actors that would block like whenever they would get like a three star, they would kind of put the three stars next to its shoulder <laughs> to make it look like the fourth star is hidden behind their body like they purpose they purposefully and i think like between the two there wasn't that much space so they put the two-star review (laughs) between (laughs) between the two of them it was really smart that's funny that is funny. all right so um, how many how many michelin stars would you give this one jake uh i would give it uh, i i I, to this uh, i would say no chef no chef all right so i had no anticipation of ever going back to the hunger games franchise i kind of thought that that thing had run its course um Hollywood, of course, never really wants to let a franchise die in any way, shape, or form. So I was really surprised when you two came back from The Hunger Games, uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, to tell me that it was actually really good. Uh, Jakey, why don't you let us know what people are in store for with The Hunger Games? And should those hungry people just go to Thanksgiving? Oh my god! I can't give you too much crap today because whenever we landed, uh, I said I was going to take a nap, Napoleon. So I, I can't really say funny. I really can't say make fun of you Napoleon. too much. Um, yeah, I, I gotta be honest. Like I was never really all in invested on the Hunger Games series. I remember liking the first one fine, um, and and thinking Catching Fire had uh, some some things about it that I enjoyed. But sort of were there three of them? But they made the three third books. One, two, there are three books. They they made the third book too. So there are four movies. four movies. Gotcha. Four movies. Um, yeah, and by the time they made Mockingjay, there you could there was so little material to justify two movies that I was yeah. just by the time the the fourth film came along, I was checked out. So, needless to say, I did not go into uh, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Boss, I didn't go into Boss. Boss with uh, with you know in the right mindset or the highest expectations. And we always talk about how much expectations can can you know impact. Your, your final outcome and maybe that helped me enjoy it more but i really did uh very much enjoy the film um it i was surprised at how brutal it is and and i know that like the previous films are still essentially about kids killing kids and there was a degree of brutality to it but this just felt like it really uh sort of upped it um i really kind of dug how seriously it treats uh younger viewers that like it is a, a heavy story um but they don't shy away from those things um the the one thing that i would say and look, it's based on a book. Like they have to, they have to adapt it as it's told. But there was a moment in the film. The film it clocks in at about two and a half. There was a moment in the film where I thought, like, it's done. Okay, that was good. Like, well done. You guys made a good movie. You made a good movie. And then something else happens, and go, oh, there's there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more. And there was like 45 minutes more. Oh wow. There's a whole other chunk that comes after a, a moment where you feel like the film is wrapping up. Interesting. Like, it feels like a, a very, I mean, I guess essentially it's the third act. I, to me, it kind of feels like a very long epilogue, mm. um, which kind of threw me a little bit because like I Return kind of felt of the like King? I was done. Whole no, because we're, no, a whole yeah. other act. Return okay. of the King um, was kind of like, just, it kept ending montage, and ending. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is a whole other chunk of story. Okay. That, that, um, but overall, I thought it was very well done. Francis Lawrence does a great job. Uh, I thought really killer performances from the entire cast. Um, uh, so I was, I was very pleasantly surprised, and I think it is worth a, a, big, th- a big screen theatrical experience. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was 
I think this is the best of the films next to Catching Fire. Um, and uh, as Sean mentioned at the beginning of the show, check out our interview with Francis Lawrence. Um, one of my favorite discussions we actually had in the interview, uh, Jake wasn't able to be a part of it, but Jake had asked a question in his TV interview about um, or something came up in his TV interview. I think Jake about R ratings and like how yep. all the Hunger Games films had gotten received R ratings prior to being edited down to 13. Um, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because the film is very violent. Like these films are brutal. This one in particular. Um, and that, that question that Jake gave us led in Sean and I into a really interesting discussion with Francis about the things you cut down to get to that 13. Um, and one of the most famous stories, Sean, we brought this up in the interview was team America, um, where the guys from South park, Trey Parker and Matt stone for the sex scene in team America, they made it way more explicit than they intended so they could deliver it to the MPAA so they would cut it down to what they wanted. Um, and I, I, other people have done this before. Francis himself said he did this before. You you like basically add more violence and disturbing content knowing you're not going to use it so you can get their mindset to where you actually want it to be. Um, wasn't there a famous Hitchcock story, Jake? Was it on uh, Psycho or one of his films where the MPA? Sent it back to him. He said an entire filming oh, and day. He, up. Yeah, they they um they told him he had to uh, change the shower scene, and he sent it back and saying, "Look, I, I put a lot of work into this. I really cut it down to what I think is going to be appropriate to you guys. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to make my film better. All this sort of stuff." Right. And they're like, "Oh my god, it's perfect, great, exactly." And he didn't touch a frame. Right, and in, 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 in the Hitchcock movie, it's really cool. They actually, I think historically, he set up an entire shooting day. To like to like to make it look like he was really fixing it or whatever it was. Um, really cool story. If you haven't seen Hitch, Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins, it's really, I love really, it's really gr- great. Um, so the reason why I bring that up is because this is and I'm only comparing it this way to The Dark Knight because The Dark Knight feels like an R rated movie. And so does this. And so I think there's ways that filmmakers can create real stakes of disturbing content while keeping a PG-13 rating. And as Francis explains in the interview, it's all about angles and how you show it, whatever. So that was one point I wanted to bring up. It feels like an adult, a very adult film in terms of it's it, like, it feels like you're watching a real life disturbing content and spectacle of what this story is dealing with. And so one of the things that I find interesting about the Hunger Games, and I brought this up in my interviews with the cast, is the concept of how we view spectacle in our real lives. And I think Jordan Peele did a phenomenal job with Nope of expanding on that question of why we as human beings are so fascinated by disturbing things. You drive by a car accident, you look. We, you know, there are just so many things in life. Look at the news. The news leads with violence, you know, in general, like in, in in terms of like when you watch the news in general, it's the, you know, what's the famous saying? If it bleeds, it leads like, you know, the, 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 you know, the content of the way we view things, we are more fascinated weirdly by negative content than we are by positive content. Think about the things you click on. I feel like we're more prone to click on negative things or disturbing stories that seem crazy because we're so fascinated by somebody doing something horrible like that. And I think the movie focuses on this concept of these characters who are thrown into this world as a spectacle to be murdered on television in front of uh, uh, all these audiences and people are entertained by it. It's kind of like the, are you not entertained line from gladiator? Or it's like the running, you know, Schwarzenegger's running man. Just terrific. And so I think it's fascinating that a film 
like this has the ability to comment on culture and society about the way we are obsessed with disturbing content. And I think that is a fascinating piece of uh, of the story that's there. The movie works on its own without the commentary I'm giving. But there's literally a line in the film where they said they you want to make these kids a spectacle, not survivors. They, the movie is obvious. It knows what it's doing. It knows what it's talking about. And I think it does make you question why we as a society find that find it you know interesting to look at things like that. Um, so I think that the film brings that question into play in a very powerful way. Um, I think Rachel Zegler is amazing. She is doing a lot of live singing in this film. I think maybe all of it's live singing. I don't know the exact percentage, but the majority of it felt live. Um, and, you know, you got to give her credit because she's an incredible voice. Tom Blythe, uh, I think is how you pronounce his last name. I had not heard of him prior to this. He's excellent as young snow. How's One of the things that's really Dinklage is amazing. But the real MVP, the real Viola MVP Davis. is Rachel, Rachel. No, but oh, the real MVP. Davis. Okay. No, Viola Davis is great. The real MVP to me is Jason Schwartzman. I think so. Schwartzman kind of has the Stanley Tucci type character where he's like announcing the games. Oh, he is. He's a young. He's a young version of Stanley right. Tucci's character. Wait, oh, it, that's the, not is, Tucci. No, that's Jason Schwartzman. Is Stanley Tucci not in the movie? Wait, Jake, how could be a younger version than sixty-four years later? Is it? Oh, I thought I thought it was. I thought he was the same character. Proceed, and I, I will check. Think. I don't think he's the same character, but either way, he's playing a similar version of that. If he is the same character, Jake will check. Um, wow, that's wild. Regard, regardless, that performance is amazing. Schwartzman, I've never seen him do anything like that before. I mean, I've loved him in, obviously, all the Wes Anderson films over the years, but Wait, this was a great performance. Have you watched Quiz Lady? No. It's on Hulu. Schwartzman's in Quiz Lady as well, too, and he's terrific in Quiz Lady. I l- love Jason Schwartzman. Also, uh, I'm glad you brought up Violet Davis. He's having a hell of a year. Oh, I guess they're both Flickermen, so maybe one's the father of the other one. Caesar? Probably. Wait, I one thought is, that this one movie, this movie one is, is Caesar Flickerman, and, and Jason Schwartzman plays Lucky Flickerman. This takes place 64 years before the, the before. first movie film, I believe. I yeah, believe. yeah, yeah. So I don't know. When I saw that character, I just thought it was young Tucci, essentially. Uh, Jake's not wrong. It do, it, he has the vibe of young Tucci's character. Um, but Viola Davis is excellent. Obviously, her performance in Air this year. I hope she gets nominated for that. Um, yeah, this film has a very strong cast. Last thing I want to say about it, the cinematography in this movie is insane. Like, I've never seen camera work like this before. When For people out there watching this film, when you go see this movie, watch the lens change when the game starts. It might be subconscious to you, like Francis says in our interview, when you watched Catching Fire and they went to the IMAX as she's being taken into the games, they, they, their aspect ratio literally you know, goes up and the frame becomes bigger. He jumps into this, this lens that in, during the games that I've never seen on the big screen that look like this before. It, it's like, it's like, the, it's like the, the camera is like this close to the actor's face, but it's a blown out wide shot. And so you can see the entire realm of the games but it's it's like you're almost like you're standing there with them but in a cinematic way i don't really know how to explain it like you know it's cinematic but you feel like you're there but you obviously your eyes can't see like this it's clearly a blown out image but damn that's one of the coolest lenses i've ever seen on the big screen before if you go to the movie just for that just go check that out and james newton howard scores fantastic i was I thought it was great. I was well, shocked how much I liked it. And to Jake's point, I thought it was over when it, when he thought it was over. 
And then what follows when you think it's over is great. Like, it just continues going. I think it's two hours and 45 minutes. It goes by very fast. You guys Um, have sold me on it, and I wasn't intending on seeing this movie at all. And so uh, all of the reviews for it across the board have been been strong, really strong. So um, next week, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving here in the United States. Well, we're in Paris right now, but back home in the United States. Uh, and so we want to know, head to the comments down below and let us know what your favorite holiday dish is. What do you need to have on the table on Thanksgiving? And of course, if you are writing in from outside of the United States and you do not celebrate Thanksgiving, uh, just let us know what holiday that you are celebrating uh, when you eat your favorite dish. So head down. Let's play foodies for the weekend. Give us your favorite dishes, uh, whether it's for Thanksgiving or for any other holiday outside of that. Uh, We'll be back next week with some really exciting interviews coming from our Paris trip. If they in the meantime, if they happen, in the meantime, follow (laughs) us. Well, we're going to find out if they're going to happen in the next ten hours. So less than twelve hours. Yes, Uh, at Jake's takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell at Gabe Kovach and the show is at Real Blend. Thank you guys for being patient with us last week. We're sorry we missed the show, but we had to get ourselves to other places. We broke up and then we got back together. Yes, we did. And uh, oh, we didn't uh, even we, mention uh, that Sean and I got to see each other in person last week in Toronto. Yeah, yes, we, we didn't did. even take any pictures. We were just too busy. We were either working or doing that weird thing of uh, just being friends and eating food and talking. Oh shoot, I mean, guys! We we also need a new ending because the strikers resolved. Oh, that's true. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, we didn't well, even mention that. I haven't even mentioned Sean, that. This this week is easy. We just got to do Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.